Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Confessions of a Book Lover by E. Walter Walters Introduction by Coulson Kernahan Part of the present volume appeared in Great Thoughts, yet here am I, whose name is associated, if at all, in the memory of readers with little thoughts, and with booklets impudent in the slenderness of their matter, presumptuously standing forth to bow the public into the writer's presence, and essaying to introduce the one to the other. The necessary explanation shall be brief. I must have been a young man, and Mr. E. Walter Walters a boy, when he and I last met. Indeed, I am not sure that I altogether remember him, but his father, who bore an honoured name, I well remember. The Reverend W. D. Walters and my own dear and honoured father were personal friends, and when the former's son sent me a manuscript of a book, with the request that I should write an introduction, how could I do otherwise than accede and express myself honoured by the invitation? That I share all Mr. Walter's wholehearted bookish enthusiasm, I may not pretend, for as R. L. Stevenson says, in an apology for idlers, books are good enough in their own way but they are a mighty bloodless substitute for life. So long, however, as the reading of it be not allowed to deprive either man or woman of drinking deep at the wells of life, there are few greater joys for young or old than are to be found within the covers of a noble book. And to the enthusiastic book lover, Mr. Walter's volume should prove treasure trove indeed. He drags, to use a phrase of Stevenson's, with a wide net, but his castings are made for the most part in the same waters of the literature of the time of Elizabeth or even of Anne. He tells us little and it is not until we come to Goldsmith, Lamb, De Quincey, Lee Hunt, and later to Jeffreys, Thoreau, and Stevenson, that Mr. Walters may be said to let himself go. What my friend Mr. Legallienne calls the Lilliput of literary London, he wisely leaves severely alone that Mr. Walters has a pretty sense of humour is clear from the following passage. Here is a copy of Milton's Paradise Lost, hooked in the deep waters of a penny tub. 
it is calf-bound, mark you, and in fairish condition, though much stained with the passing of years, my heart leaps, it is very old, a first edition possibly, but no, it is anything but that, many of the pages are entirely missing, and others partially so. Judged by the books that surround me, it is dear at a penny, Paradise Lost. The wordplay is not unworthy of Mr. Zhang Will, but when Mr. Walters writes, I have frequently trodden snow-covered ground with my nose a few inches from an open book. I wish him for the first time being, good afternoon, and seek other company, preferably that of some lover of the Emerson who wrote, See thou bring not to field or stone the fancies found in books. Leave author's eyes and fetch your own to brave the landscape's looks. I know a pretty little edition of the Religio Medici writes Mr. Legallien in his retrospective reviews, which has been quite spoiled for me by the astounding remark of its editor upon Brown's beautiful description of his life as a miracle of 30 years. Yet its actual incidents justify no such description. Mr. Walters will not thus spoil for his readers the work of the writers he loves. He strikes no jarring note. On the contrary, he is capable when writing of books, bookmaking and book buying, of an enthusiasm which I envy as much as I admire. I have confessed, he says in his chapter, on second-hand books, that I am of the company of book lovers who delight in dipping into the lucky tubs to be found outside booksellers' windows. I know of no pleasanter way of spending a spare half-hour. Give me a few loose coppers, place my feet upon a likely road, and I am content. I am now let me say, of the happy company of book fishermen, and this mark you is fishing in real earnest, this effort to hook good food for the mind, to place in one's basket a book that delighteth and giveth perennial satisfaction. The comparison of a book seeker to an angler is as happy as it is original. And the phrase, though phrase-making must not be confused, as Leslie Stephen points out, with thought-finding, a book fisherman has something of Charles Lamb's own self-pleasing quaintness. Lamb would, indeed, appear to be Mr. Walter's favourite author. That he knows his a liar intimately and can interpret him aright to others is clear from the chapter on books and gardens. We are told, says Mr. Walters, 
that Lamb was a lover of towns and crowded streets. Would it not be truer to say that he was a lover of the conditions in which he chanced to be placed? London claimed him, for the sanest reasons no doubt, and lo under his pen, London became a garden. This is truly and finely said of such acute and illuminative comment. There is no lack in Mr. Walter's delightful book, which should assuredly find a place in the library of book-loving women and men. How ruthlessly Webster strips the word confession of the tender associations woven around it by the hand of the gentle essayist. A confession, he informs us, is the acknowledgement of a crime or fault, open declaration of guilt, etc. True, a brighter note is struck in further definitions, but I cannot find in any book at my command a definition of the word as used, for example, by Thomas de Quincey. The fact that de Quincey took opium was, I believe, known long before he wrote his confessions. He personally avers that his object was to emblazon the power of it, not only over bodily disease and pain, but over the grander and more shadowy world of dreams. He desired, humbly to confess, a penitential loneliness. And I take that to mean that he desired to admit us into the innermost recesses of his heart, to speak to us as one speaks to a friend. I plead, therefore, for a wider definition of the word confession, a definition that embraces those gentle whisperings which pass between friends, the confidence that springs from the very roots of the human heart. An eminent essayist of our own day has been pleading for more autobiographies of unknown persons, if I read him right, he wishes that more persons, however humble, however obscure, would set forth their thoughts and experiences. He believes that such writings would make better reading than much that finds its way into print. There is an idea in some quarters that unless a person enjoys peculiar gifts of expression or has achieved distinction in some walk of life. His thoughts and experiences are of no public interest. But there are, I am certain, many who would rather have the unadorned expression of a man's innermost feelings than the thoughts that flit so lightly from the mind of the accomplished literature. How many are they? men whose names are emblazoned upon the roll of honour, who have confessed to a love for conversing with the ordinary man, the man in the street. As for you, your men of letters, you are well aware of their love for conversing with unknown and frequently 
humble persons, casual acquaintances, and who shall say to what extent we are indebted to those persons for the thoughts which, having been selected and refined, sparkle like jewels fresh from the cutter's hands. How numerous are the men who have read widely and thought deeply, and yet hesitate before expressing an opinion upon the most trivial matters. Fortunate is the person who can induce such men to talk freely, to express their views, their secret thoughts, on this, that, and the other subject, their beloved books, their likes, their dislikes, their aspirations, their fears, their hopes. Such confessions should make good reading. By dint of a little gentle persuasion, I have managed to glean copy of this description, which I shall hope to set down in these pages, carefully avoiding, meanwhile, any mention of names. The mere thought of publicity would bring a blush to the cheeks of the good gentleman I have in mind. I must adopt the plan of those knights of the pen, of whom mention has been made, but here the process will be reversed. Here the rich thought of others will come forth in homely attire. I would, however, first inquire in what respect the lover of books differs from the rank and file. What are his distinctive characteristics? Langford has declared that no matter what his rank or position may be, the lover of books is the richest and happiest of men. But is that entirely true? I confess that I do not find it so. The lover of books is, I fancy, grievously prone to hanker after the moon, or to put it another way, to build wondrous fairy palaces, which he would fain inhabit and cannot. I fancy he is apt to suffer from a glorious discontent, he is too imaginative, too sensitive, to enjoy the distinction of being the happiest of men. Indeed, is not a fact that we book lovers stand in danger of falling out of sympathy with his rough and tumble old world. Certainly, many of us resent anything that threatens to come between us and our idols. I have friends book lovers, who as strongly resent an intrusion into the sacred nook that holds themselves, and a book as they would resent the invasion of a foreign power. Thus grows upon the book lover an ever-deepening desire for solitude, for the quiet life. Others may, if they choose, jostle for the gilded things of life, he is for other prizes, treasures of the mind and spirit. He, for his part, prefers to saunter through quiet byways, knowing full well that prizes will rest in his path, and that these which he need not but stoop together 
will prove abiding treasures. Yes, certainly the lover of books is rich. Every true lover must in nature of the case be that. Listen to Gibbon. My early and invincible love of reading, I would not change for the treasures of India. How many have spoken in like manner? You, O books, cries Organvile, are the golden vessels of the temple, the arms of the clerical militia, with which missiles of the most wicked are destroyed, fruitful olives, vines of Engedi, fig trees knowing no sterility, burning lamps to be ever held in hand. I have a friend, a book lover, who confesses that he acquired this love of his after having passed through the most painful experiences. Often he stumbled, often he fell, seemingly never to rise again. But happily, he has reached safe ground at last. He is now the contented owner of a rich storehouse of books, but he confesses that he is not boisterously happy. He doubts not that others laugh more heartily than he, that many have lighter hearts. But he, be it remembered, has passed through deep sorrow, has lost friends, home, wealth, all that men hold most dear. Without his books and all they have taught him, his lot would be that of a wanderer in a wilderness. My books, he says, are my inseparable comforters, my friends, companions, teachers, consolers, creators, amusers. But he makes no claim to being a student or an authority on books. He does not burn the proverbial midnight oil. There is nothing of the bookworm about him. He is simply a book lover, and being such, enjoys the very best that books can give. I confess that I envy the pleasure derived by this friend of mine from the little crackling sound caused by the opening of a new book. It is the sweetest music in his ears, an overture composed of the most pleasing notes. And with what relish he enters into the entertainment that follows, with what zest he reads aloud the choice passages, the four walls of his library must, I fancy, have peculiar knowledge of the dainties that are bred in books. They are his only audience. When friends are with him, it is they who must do the reading, whilst he plays the better part. How many a tale such as this might be told, how full of eccentricities is the lover of books, ay, and how full too of whims and fads and fancies. Each one is for a particular type of binding. In no two cases can you find tastes exactly alike. One is for plain cloth, plainly lettered, 
another is for calf or rasha, another for parchment. And each one has his own views as regards to size. Some cry out for books that can be handled with ease. Others maintain that the size of a book should suit the nature of its contents. And thus the battle wages, quite a long and wordy affair, before any question arises as regards to the actual contents of a book. But are not these views concerning that make up of a book healthy and desirable? I seem to remember having read of men held in high repute who had marked preferences as regards to the get-up of a book. Did not Charles Lamb maintain that to be strong-backed and neat-bound is the desideratum of a volume? Magnificence comes after. This, when it can be afforded, is not lavished upon all kinds of books indiscriminately. I would not dress a set of magazines, for instance, in full suit. The deshabille or half-binding with Russia backs is our costume. And what of the inside books? What of their contents? For my own part, I confess that, when pressed for a list of my favourite authors, I am at a loss for an answer or, at least, for a satisfactory answer. The question is so pointed, the answer resting quietly in my mind so wide, so shadowy, so needful of explanation. So much depends upon one's mood and environment. I require the opportunity to say why certain books appeal to me in certain moods and leave me untouched at other times. I desire to show that certain books, in order to be enjoyed to the full, must be read in certain seasons and under certain conditions. I wish to hold forth upon, say, books and gardens, unknown books and so forth, and on the peculiarities of certain authors, giving reasons why I like or dislike their works. I wish to confess, to bear my heart. And that is too lengthy a process to cram in a direct answer to a direct question. Only this much can I confess offhand. The books that please me most are the books that speak to the heart. Such volumes are my most highly treasured possessions. I have confessed that the books which please me most are the books that speak to the heart, books that greet one with the ease and familiarity of a friend. I desire to feel the humanity, the heart of an author. I desire to know that he is genial, kindly, well disposed. I have no inclination for angry, fretful men of letters. I no more desire to meet such through the medium of a book than I desire to make the acquaintance of quarrelsome individuals in the flesh. I too find myself facing as stoutly as I can 
a hard, combative existence, full of doubts, difficulties and disappointments, quite a hard enough life without dark countenances at my elbow. Give me pleasant company, give me gentlemen of letters, still I have no taste for the company of the maudlin or weak need. Robert Louis Stevenson says that we are all for tootling on the sentimental flute in literature, and not a man amongst us will go to the head of the march to sound the heady drums. Note with what grace he makes the observation. It is more in the nature of a good-tempered laugh than a growl. How gracefully he wears the title, A Gentleman of Letters. How pleasantly he addresses us. Little wonder if, in his presence, our failings are as open wounds. He has no need to probe. His gentlest touch is sufficient, more effective by far than the rough treatment of the irascible author. Yes, for friends, give me gracious authors, give me the gentle Elia, give me Jeffreys, Goldsmith, Lee, Hunt and De Quincey. These are the writers I would take into a garden on a summer's afternoon. I need have no fear, whilst in such company of the flowers being robbed of their fragrance, the song of the birds will not be silenced. The gentle whisperings of the trees will still be audible. The writers in mind are of the company who claim kinship with nature, Whilst with them, I may read and yet meditate. I may learn and yet hear and feel. Where is the nature lover who will not readily confess that when in a flowering garden, he is frequently between his devotion to the book in his hand and the beauties that surround him? I confess that I for one like to mix the dainties that are bred in books with the wondrous attractions of nature. I am ready enough to take my favourite authors into a garden, but not so ready to give them my undivided attention. Another book which must forever remain unrivaled claims my eyes, my attention, Richard Jeffreys is pleasing, but not so pleasing as the beauties to be found in a garden. Goldsmith brings a warm glow, but see, the sun shines in the heavens. Lamb puts me in playful vein, but his tune is not so merrily as the song of the birds in yonder bushes. The light touch of Lee Hunt is delightful but not so pleasing as the quickly shifting lights upon the treetops. But it is good to have old friends at one's elbow, and if I am able to enjoy myself without them on a summer's afternoon, it is because they, on some winter's evening, have opened my eyes and quickened my senses. It is they, I say, 
who have taught me to love the beauties of nature. I am familiar with their golden passages, and whilst seated beneath the trees can recall them at my pleasure, or should the mood arise, read them again and yet again. How good, for example, to read such a passage as this. There is something beyond the philosophers in the light, in the grass blades, the leaf, the grasshopper, the sparrow on the wall. Some day the great and beautiful thought which hovers on the confines of the mind will at last alight. In that is hope, the whole sky is full of abounding hope. Still, one does not always experience a sense of loss when reading in the open. Far from it. The heavens are not always blue, and prate as we will about the subtle beauty of grey skies and leafless trees. We are at times willing enough to escape from them. I for one... I'm glad under such conditions to warm myself by the light of a printed page. Happily, I am of the company of men who can walk and read, and have frequently trodden snow-covered ground with my nose a few inches from an open book. Believe me, he who can read whilst walking has a long pull over the book lover who must needs have quietude, and a bended knee upon which to nurse his beloved books. There is a worthy and distinguished company of book lovers, to whom reading whilst afoot is not only uncongenial, but impossible. I seem to remember a passage in which that great book lover Charles Lamb speaks of his inability to enjoy a book whilst out of doors. These I find other words in mind. I am not much a friend to the out-of-doors reading. I cannot settle my spirits to it. I knew a Unitarian minister who was generally to be seen upon Snow Hill between the hours of ten and eleven in the morning, studying a volume of Lardner. I own this to have been a strain of abstraction beyond my reach. I used to admire how he sidled along, keeping clear of secular contacts, an illiterate encounter with a porter's knot or a bread basket would have quickly put to flight all the philosophy I am master of and have left me worse than indifferent to the five points. Thus the gentle Elia playfully dismissed the person who is pleased to boast of his ability to read whilst walking. Was there ever a writer so fastidious, yet so tolerant, so playful as he? Speaking of the conditions under which certain books should be read, he says, Much depends upon when and where you read a book. In the five or six impatient minutes before the dinner is quite ready, who would think of taking up to the fair queen for a stopgap, or a volume of Bishop Andrew's sermons, 
Milton almost requires a solemn service of music before you enter upon him. Winter evenings and the world shut out. With less of ceremony, the gentle Shakespeare enters. At such seasons, the tempest or his own winter's tale, books of quick interest that hurry on for incidents, are for the eye to glide over only. I wish it was possible to add a few words from the same whimsical pen upon reading in a garden on a summer's afternoon. I have a friend who is disposed to think that such writing would contain little about books and much about nature. We are told that Lamb was a lover of towns and crowded streets. Would it not be truer to say that he was a lover of the conditions in which he chanced to be placed? London claimed him for the sanest reasons, no doubt, and under his pen... London became a garden. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this story, and I hope you're also feeling a little drowsy. Until next time, good night. Tonight's reading comes from Confessions of a Book Lover, published in 1913 and written by E. Walter Walters. This story explores one's love for books. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. The podcast is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. Thank you to everyone who shared their words of gratitude with me during the week. Firstly, a massive thank you to Miriam, our new Patreon supporter. Monthly subscriptions are what allows this podcast to continue to be made, bringing rest to you and those who need it. Thank you, Miriam, for your support. It is an amazing compliment. Thank you also to everyone who contacted me through the website. Darla Keel, thank you for sharing the podcast with friends and family. What an amazing thing to do. Joanna Holding, thank you for reaching out to say hello. To iTunes listeners, Lisa MCI, thank you so much for telling your friends. I'm glad you fall asleep in a matter of minutes. And iTunes listener TXNavy42, thank you for likening me to the most boring professor in existence. What a compliment. And to all Spotify listeners, thank you for continuing to let me know what you thought via Spotify's Q&A within each episode. I really do appreciate everyone that takes the time and I've read and published each of your comments. Thank you so much. If you find the podcast beneficial, please be sure to subscribe as it helps other listeners find the show. And of course, share the podcast with a friend and leave a rating in your podcast app. 
If you would like to become patron or sponsor, please visit boytosleep.com. Your monthly contribution allows me to continue bringing out more episodes for those who need them. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. <laughs> 